Hey everyone, can you do me a favor? If you have, over the last summer, memorized Psalm 23, um, would you do me a favor and send me a video of you reciting Psalm 23? Or send me a note and tell me about it. Tell me about your experience. I would love, love to hear about it. Uh, one of the things as we've engaged this last summer in this psalm was so we can immerse ourselves in it and learn from it and grow from it. And so it would be almost like a whisper from our lips at a moment's notice. And that was the heartbeat behind it. Well, we've come to the end. Week eight. Today is the wrap-up. And we had called this series Living Psalm 23. Part of the heartbeat behind it was to learn it, to memorize it, to recite it, to be immersed in it. Uh, not for, um, you know, linguistic purposes, but for spiritual purposes. But obviously, we didn't just want to fill Sunday content for eight weeks in a row and go through verse by verse. It was really the heart and the purpose so we could grow to live in freedom and peace in a world of worry and anxiety. That was the heartbeat behind it. And the key in all of this is living in God's sufficiency. The psalm starts off, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Right from the very first line of this incredible song, the vision is that we would be able to be a people that don't live with anxiety or fear or worry, but that we can walk through the world <clears throat> with all the advertisements around us, with all the way the world often uses fear and worry to shape our decisions. And here's the thing. I want us to come to realize that there is life available under God's care, and that life is different even in the middle of the world I just described. We can live in God's sufficiency. And the goal is really living into this reality. David ends this song with another I statement. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. He begins with I, first person, I lack nothing. And he ends with a decision. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The bookends to this psalm is the first person as he's writing in it. But the bookends to this psalm is also that he references the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And he ends by saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. David's heart, David's um, call into this as we, we understand even the word house of the Lord is, is God's people, God's kingdom, God's purposes, God's value, God's reign, God's presence. When David uses the word or phrase house of the Lord, that's what he's getting at. Then he realizes that to live in God's sufficiency, he must dwell, he must be present with, he must abide in and live within God's rule and God's reign. There's no other way for him to live lacking nothing or a life without anxiety and freedom or and instead with freedom and peace unless he does this. And so it's the very intentional ending of this psalm. And this is very much what Jesus invites us into, right? Jesus comes in on the earth and he says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Enter in. 
John tells us at the beginning of his gospel that all who receive him, all who believe in the name of Christ, they have the right to become his children. The Apostle Paul tells us in the Ephesians as he describes the spiritual blessings of those who have come to know Christ. And he says of those who have believed, of those who've turned to Christ, of those who've responded to the gospel, this is possible. But it's decisive action. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And there's an active part to this, how we can nurture this. So as I want to I wrap up today with a, actually a, an image or maybe a practice understanding that I got from Dallas Willard. And uh, Willard wrote this book, Life Without Lack, and uh, it's about Psalm 23. It's a pretty thick book uh, on this psalm because he goes into all the scriptures and ties it to the life of Jesus. But Willard in this book uh, describes a triangle of sufficiency. That's what he likes to call it, a triangle of, deficient, of sufficiency. Three key decisions or turning points or maybe three postures that we need if we're going to experience the sufficiency of God in our lives. The three are this, faith, death to self, and love. Willard says this about the three before I get into it. He says, when faith, death to self, and love are alive in you, you will find that hope and joy pervade your entire life. Let's start off with faith. The New Testament word for faith uh, in the original Greek is pistis. And one could easily translate this word allegiance or loyalty. Willard actually encourages us just as a mental exercise and a spiritual exercise to replace the word faith with trust to see if we come to understand what it means to put our faith in Christ differently. When one puts their faith in Jesus, they're believing that all that they need to be satisfied would be found in and through Jesus Christ. To trust Jesus or put one's faith in Jesus is to align themselves with him to be loyal to his purpose, his vision, that you've come to believe that his will is the best will to live your life, that his will is the best will for humanity. Peter, in John 6, asked the question in conversation with Jesus, to whom shall we go? And he answers his own question. You have the words of eternal life, Jesus. We've come to believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. When Nicodemus is searching out Jesus and, and wanting to know what Jesus is about and, and, and wanting to get, to, to, to get deeper into what Jesus is teaching and inviting people into, Jesus says, hey Nicodemus, if you really want to know what this means, if you really want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You must be born from above. What Jesus is getting at is very similar to the invitation of God's kingdom. He says, you must reorient your life from a new source, from a new foundation. You must direct your life with a new vision. And this is part of all of Scripture that calls us to this. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 is a very popular verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. To experience God's sufficiency requires faith or trust in him. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, we act in relationship with God to bring what we hope into reality. We act in, we align ourselves with him. 
That's easier said than done. See, the world causes us to hope for reality through a political system, through the pursuit of wealth or success, even through violence, that violent acts can actually achieve peaceful outcomes or hopeful outcomes. Well, trusting Jesus requires us to trust in his ways versus our ways, in his ways versus the world's ways. And that often means that we literally choose to live differently, even if the outcome is slower. So faith requires a mixture of things. I'll describe it in three ways. It requires vision, desire, and action. The vision to see what God sees. That's part of faith. The vision to see what God sees. It requires desire because you then move to the next step of seeing what God sees to wanting what you now see. That's desire. But faith, if we think about allegiance and loyalty and trust, also requires action. It means living what you see. So seeing what God sees, wanting what you now see, and then moving to live what you actually see. That's faith. Faith is not just some mental ascent, but it's a holistic decision to trust and live into God's purposes. Sometimes when we talk about the word conviction, you know, like the Holy Spirit's been convicting me or the Holy Spirit's convicting you, and that's often the Holy Spirit highlighting the gap between vision and desire or between vision, desire, and action. And if, it's not, and if those aren't in sync, then the Spirit gets our attention. If it's just vision, seeing what God sees, but not desire, wanting it or acting it or living it, the Spirit gets our attention and convicts us. Some of us sometimes feel like we lack faith. What do we do with that? Well, we ask God to help us grow our faith, to help us to help our faith be nurtured. Willard says, be careful, though, because when you ask God to grow your faith or ask God to increase faith because you feel it's lacking, be willing to allow him to take you through whatever is necessary for your faith to grow. And God will do that. Uh, lately, over the summer, as I've been, I have some normal morning readings, and they're often based in the Psalms or this passage I even read from, from Peter and John John chapter 6, and I've started to include this uh, portion of Psalm 139. It says, search me and know me, O God. See if there's any wicked or offensive way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. And I really felt the Holy Spirit prompted me to start including this phrase in my morning reflection, in my morning time with the Lord. And what that's been doing is I've been, whenever I say that phrase every morning, is it reveals to me where my vision and my desire and action are intention or where there's a gap. And then I invite the Lord to lead me to the way of everlasting, to lead me to the way of action, life, to truly step into faith. If we want to live um, in sufficiency in the Lord, we must include faith and trust. But here's the next thing that Willard says in this trial, triangle of, of sufficiency. He, talk, he talks about death to self. And David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, me, himself. Uh, to, to think about that is, David is saying, living into God's sufficiency will require his self, his intention, which means it requires a surrender. And that's described often in the New Testament as a death to self. Jesus invites us to deny ourselves, to follow him. That doesn't mean we deny that we exist. 
It means that we deny or let go of or let die what previously governed our life. Or sometimes, even as we follow Jesus, we discover that these little things are still governing our life and we must let go of them because we want Jesus to govern our life. Matthew 16, verse 25 to 26, Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Here, think about what what Jesus is saying. The word soul there, by the way, could also be translated life or maybe what organizes our life. Jesus says we must lose our life if we really want to find it. And those who want to save their life, want to keep their life propped up with other governing principles, will actually lose it. Jesus is saying, you know, you got to lose the pursuit of the wrong things. Saving our life is usually pursuing the wrong things. Jesus says, no, lose that pursuit if you want to really gain life. Lose where your life has been organized around the wrong things. That's what he means when he says lose your life. If your life is organized purely around wealth or fame or greed or pleasure or isolation or you fill in the blank, you're not truly living. I'm not truly living. You're actually losing the life of God's kingdom that's available for you because you're trying to save some other false life. Many of us have lost our lives by trying to save it. Many of us have lost so many things by trying to save the wrong things, by trying to organize our lives around the world's priorities and not God. And God is inviting us in, like Jesus here, into a different kind of life. See, God's vision for your life is a fully realized self, a new self, a transformed self, where you lose your old self and you grow into a fully realized self. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians 3. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Literally taking off the old self, putting on the new self, And that new self is being renewed in the knowledge of who? Your creator. God's priorities, not yours. Here's how Jesus says it in John 12. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. When we die to ourselves, when we lose the pursuit of the wrong things, the seed of who we were dies and then something new grows. The only way to live in God's sufficiency is to die to self in order to discover the life truly sourced in Him. If we want to live in God's sufficiency, it requires faith and then death to self. But here's the last thing that Willard wraps it up. And again, he's not just pulling this out of a hat. He's describing scriptures, right? And we're trying to look at the scriptures that would reflect these three themes. So love. Let me say it this way. Sufficiency in God is completed in love. Sufficiency in God is completed in love. Jesus, his greatest commandment, what fulfills all the law and the prophets, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor. Love is something we receive from God, something we give back to God. Scripture says we love God because he first loved us. 
And then there's this pretty consistent message throughout the New Testament that if love is in you, it overflows from you. If love is in you, it overflows from you. There's a glimpse of the New Testament robust ideas about love. Here's just like a short list. John 13, love each other. Romans 12, love sincerely with genuine affection. Romans 13, which is also quoting Matthew 22, Jesus' words, love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 6, love your enemy. And here's John, 1 John 4, verse 7 to 8 and verse 12, describing this idea that if we love each other, God lives in us. Listen to how John says it. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. There's something connected here to our loving each other and our enemies and our neighbor to the, that reflects the fact that God's love is in us. See, sufficiency in God is completed in love. And love actually reflects that we find our sufficiency in God. An overflow of love is an indication of our sufficiency in God. When we move from faith to death to self to love, love actually, when we're loving in a way that God calls us to, we're actually reflecting the fact that our sufficiency is in him. That's what enables us to actually love the way Jesus calls us to love. And so we come down to this triangle. I think it's a beautiful metaphor, a beautiful maybe kind of like uh, idea in our minds to help us nurture what we've been learning all summer. Here's this triangle of sufficiency, faith, death to self, and love. And it's not static, it's, it's dynamic. It, they all feed off each other. Faith feeds death to self, and death to self feeds love, and love feeds faith again, and it becomes just a continual movement together. Faith, death to self, and love nurture and strengthen your life and my life under the shepherd's care. And it leads us to the vision of this psalm again, that we lack nothing that we can live a life without anxiety, without fear, without worry, because we're under the shepherd's care. But that true life that we're describing, that where we could really say, I lack nothing, only comes to full fruition when we find our sufficiency in God. One last thought from Willard. He describes it like this. He says, it comes to the point where the thing I wished for, I suddenly realize I don't need it. I'm okay without it. Wouldn't that be amazing? Where you always feel burdened by something that you feel you want, and you're like, I can't live without this, or my life is not complete without this, or if I don't get this next thing, or this next toy, or this next whatever, it's like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if that thing we wished for, we suddenly realized, I don't need it. I'm okay without it. If I have it, I have it. Great. If I don't, I don't. If I got this new car, awesome, it's a gift, it's wonderful. But if I don't have it, it's not going to destroy me. Life is so, here's the idea, when life is so full of God and so full of his goodness that you begin to see the absence of something as proof that you never really needed it. And when we grow in sufficiency in God, this all slowly becomes natural for us. 
because our sufficiency is in him, not in these other things. It's not something we can manufacture as well. I want to remind us of this. This is something we participate with the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Even these practices or these steps of faith and death to self and love, they might feel like like something we only do. No, it's something we surrender to the Holy Spirit to empower us to, and we work with the Holy Spirit in us. So I'm going to wrap up just saying that I hope and I pray that this last summer we would have become so comfortable and so immersed and so close to the words of Psalm 23, whatever translation of the Bible you memorized it in, that the words that the Lord is our shepherd and that we lack nothing would just come to our mouths, come to our minds when we need it. The words that he restores our life, that he leads us to paths of righteousness, that he leads us beside still waters or green pastures, that we can walk through the darkest valley and fear no evil because we know he's with us and his rod and his staff, they comfort us, and that he prepares a table before our enemies because, and, and right there, we know he's with us all the time. He anoints our head with oil, our cup overflows, and surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I determine to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I hope the anchors of these truths will, the anchor of the truth in this psalm will just be so rooted in our lives. And so here's this benediction as we, as we close. May we truly discover life under God's care, under the lordship of Jesus, so we can experience freedom and peace, even in a world of worry and fear, so we can walk through the darkest moment and fear no evil because God is with us. So we can sit at his table, knowing his calling, his goodness and his love pursuing us, overflowing from us, and grow to become fully alive in his presence. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.